Welcome back to another episode of Producer Grind Podcast. Carrington and JB with me. Yo. Yo. Charlie in the building. What's good, bro? Charlie Rock is here. I'm excited for this, fellas. This is a fire one. I get to give back to the game that made me. Facts. Come on. I'm sitting here talking to some Atlanta legends. Y'all are giving back to the game, teaching these kids. I'm excited to bring my talents, everything I've done in the music game. Excited to tap into that music knowledge because I know a lot of your interviews have been focused more on your, you know, your recent career and the recent changes you made, you know, with your health and the athletic stuff. But I'm, I've been watching, you know, because I've been watching your content for a minute, man. I'm, I'm excited to tap into that, that back history, that knowledge. <laughs> rare, rare secret gems going down on producer grind. Super sauce. Let's get it. We're mm-hmm. here. Y'all ready, fellas? Let's, Let's go. get it. Thanks. So, um, Let's get it. So, yeah, I know, you know, you're the, one of the co-founder of Kicks on Fire, which I, I thought that was interesting. Co-founder of Street Execs. You manage hip-hop megastars like 2 Chainz, Travis Porter, creator of the CEO of Millionaire's Clothing Line, which is crazy. And then, uh, as of recently, the Nike-endorsed athlete. But like I said, let's uh, let's go back to the, the the humble beginnings, you know, first getting into the music, you know, the music scene. And how did you, you know, how did it all start? Man, first of all, like, I don't know. When I listen, when I listen to podcasts, like I know they're like really big investments mm-hmm. of time for anybody who's listening. This might be a really long episode, but um, for everybody listening, like I want you to know, like in this episode, I'm gonna be sharing like trade secrets of what I experienced in the music game of you know managing artists like Two Chains and Young Dolph and Travis Porter, R.I.P. Bankroll Fresh. Thanks. Um, how I went about the music game was always like grassroots. Like I never had money. I was in my mom's basement with the quilt hanging from the ceiling and recording songs like All The Way Turned Up. And, you know, we recorded Make It Rain in a basement. We recorded Bring It Back in a Living Room, you know, with Travis Porter. So like I want to give that knowledge to everybody on how we worked our way from basements to winning Grammys and world tours. And we sold 43 million records. And I know what's possible. I know what's possible from a human being, not just from myself, but from the people I saw around me. And I got some really cool stories that I want to tell everybody on this episode about this homeless kid named Marcus who lived on a couch in a studio who ended up changing my life and ended up having, you know, multiple top 10 records in the country and going on to discover big artists like Post Malone and Iggy Azalea. Like, I know what's possible. I want to tell stories about what I witnessed from Mike Will. I want to tell stories of how I saw like people like Rich the Kid hustle, how like producers like D.A. Doman, like I got so many stories and game and knowledge and industry secrets that I want to share with people on this podcast. You know, since I left the music industry to become a Nike athlete, going from winning, you know, Grammys to like, you know, we just want an Emmy, you know, to be able to scale you know, two different worlds, and apl- but applying the same tactics, the same strategies in both worlds, it works. And that's what I'm here to teach you guys. So it all started right here in Atlanta, Georgia. So mm-hmm. so let's get this party started. Like, mm-hmm. that's, 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 that's the vibe I'm feeling from this interview. It's going to be one of the best ones we've done yet. Let's get it. And then also, real quick, too, I'm, I know you mentioned you want to give away some Yamaha speakers to Woo! listen. All right, so everybody... So this is what's going down. Like when I was walking into the studio a little while ago and I was thinking to myself, you know what? Like if I was a young producer, what would I want? And so I I asked all you guys and then I called my boy Lil Jay from Chop House, who's a producer that uh, I used to manage. (coughs) Like what would y'all want? 
and everybody said, you know what, some Yamaha speakers. Yes, sir. So I want to give away a pair of, uh, hold on, let me pull it up. What's the name of them? HS7s. 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 All right, cool. So this is it right here, the HS7s. I'm going to give away a pair. It's uh, going to be $600 uh, worth. And how I want to do it is I want you to text a cheat code. My, 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 I got a little phone number um, for this, uh, like a digital speakeasy. This is my podcast. It's called Quantopia. And once you get the secret phone number, uh, which I'm going to like give to y'all, I want you to text producer grind to the number after you lock your number in and text producer grind. And I'm going to pick one person. So take down this phone number. It's called 404-800-1073. Text that number. Lock in your number. It'll give you the secret passcode. It'll give you the secret portal. It's like a, it's not a podcast that exists on the public like most podcasts. This is a secret podcast that's hidden behind a phone number. So once you text that number, 404-800-1073, text producer grind to it. Once you uh, save your number in, I'm going to pick one person to get the Yamahas. So, yeah, let's let's right. do this. Appreciate that, man. Cool. Absolutely. Show it, spreading love to the community, man. Right. Absolutely. But yeah, so let, let's go, man. So uh, let's, let's hear about the, the story. All right. Where do you want to start, brother? Start, um, shoot, yeah, let's start. Boy days. Yeah, but I mean, even before that, spityourgame.com and uh, for when he first got, you know, the job with Interscope and Soldier Boy. All right. So this is what happened. So I was coming up in Atlanta and like all my friends started making music because like, now we got computers where we could buy microphones and stuff and like plug it into the computer. This is like the beginning of the digital music recording age. And we would like go on musician's friend, buy a hundred dollar microphone. And I asked my mom, I'm like, Ma, like, can I put a studio in my bedroom? I lived across the street from the high school. And my mom, she didn't really understand uh, like the whole hip hop thing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm half white, half Lebanese. So like my family, like, they didn't know about the hip-hop stuff, but I'm like, nah, this is the future of my life. Because I was CEO Charlie. I always had a little business, you know, always doing my little hustle thing. And I saw music as the wave. And um, she let me put the studio in my bedroom. Next thing you know, after school, like 50 kids are at the, at the studio. And it got like out of control. Like there's kids I, I've never even seen before yeah. in my life. Like, there's some kid, like, making a tuna fish sandwich in the kitchen. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I don't even know who you are. But everybody's, like, just making music. And our songs, they were, like, they were terrible, like, to put it in perspective. They would be, like, 10 minutes long. It's like some high school stuff, right? Everybody got a verse. But there was one song that popped, though. There was one song. Do y'all know, um, he's kind of famous now. He went to my high school. We grew up together. His name is B-Dot, Brandon Armstrong. He's like the basketball impersonator, mm-hmm. the NBA impersonator. He's super big on Instagram. He won MVP of the Celebrity All-Star Game a couple years ago in the NBA. We went to high school together. Mm-hmm. And he recorded a song called uh, called Crank That Crank, Crank That Spider-Man. Oh, snap. <laughs> so, yes. Have y'all oh, ever heard shit, of 2-9? Yeah. The rap group 2-9? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh. Yeah. With JC? Yeah. So Jace was on that song. Uh, Brandon Armstrong, Siege. Do you know White Boy Siege? Mm. So, so two nine. Um, they 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 were signed to Mike Will. Okay. So and also Interscope Records. So it was like you know there was a few of us in Shambly. Like this is mm. north side of Atlanta. We were just doing our thing, but I wanted to make a media outlet. I wanted to make a website for all my artists. 
friends and I had a digital camera and I was like making videos and music videos. And I was the only one who in the Atlanta who had a plug the world star mm. because back in the day, like two, three years before, um, world star wasn't even a video site. World star was a mixtape website mm. and nobody went to it. But I used to have a shoe website and a fashion website. So I had fashiononfire.com. So me and my business partner, CEO Charlie and CEO Khan, we owned Fashion on Fire, started Kicks on Fire, and we had spitchogame.com. So that was our little media empire as 16-year-old kids. Right. And uh, I would advertise on different websites. And Worldstar was one of the websites we would advertise our clothing and shoes on. We paid like $100 a week. Mm. Worldstar then, like, they experimented with a few things. They went from a mixtape website to, like, being, like, a porn website. Like, it was really weird. <laughs> um, but they just kept experimenting, hustling in the game. Then they made a, a video website. And it just blew up. Like, when the Kim Kardashian sex tape came out, they were the first ones to, like, download it, put their website on it. And when it went out just viral... It was always world star, world star, world star. Mm. So world star blew up, right. and I got the plug. I'm like, I know Q, you know RIP Q. Mm. But it was like I knew him. So I'm in Atlanta. I've got this little media outlet. I've got the plug to world star, and uh, I started making videos, you know, for people in Atlanta, and it would get the world star. So Spitcher Game started blowing up, and. Uh, we had the dance music going crazy, like like the whole like teen dance scene in Atlanta. And uh, I wasn't really making money, though. Website was popping because MySpace back in the day only allowed you to have eight songs on your MySpace player. And I created a, a web player that would be unlimited songs. So I basically made SoundCloud before SoundCloud. Yeah. I was like put this on your MySpace page, embed it on your MySpace page so people can listen to all your beats or listen to all your songs so you don't have to make 20 different pages. Mm -hmm. So uh, our competitor at the time was SoundClick. But SoundClick wasn't a cool media outlet. You know, Spit Your Game was. So uh, so that that was popping. And there was this kid in um, Mississippi who was a big fan. And we all knew who he was. But he was an outsider. Like, we didn't really rock with him. You know how Atlanta folks are. Mm, Atlanta folks rock right. with Atlanta folks. Yeah, yeah. Everybody else is just watching. But this kid in Batesville, Mississippi, population 16,000, blows up. And uh, his name was Soldier Boy. Mm. Some coffee. We're going to be here for a while, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're about to get, oh, is there almond milk? Let's see if there's almond milk. Sorry about the interruption, guys. I'm vegan. Um, so, yeah, Soldier Boy blew up. He got his record deal with Interscope Records. I'm now in community college in Atlanta, just buying time because I wasn't making any money. And uh, he said to his record label, you know what? We, you know, I want Charlie to be my cameraman. Like, that's who I want because he always looked up to what we were doing in, in Atlanta. So, uh, next thing you know, like, I'm, I'm on the phone with Interscope Records. And they asked me to go on tour. I'm like, absolutely, I can't wait. But then, like, I had to realize I got to ask my mom if I could drop out of school and, like, go on tour. So uh, my mom, she ended up giving me her blessings, dropped out of school. Next thing you know, I'm on the road with Soldier Boy. 
And being a cameraman was super dope because it got me in every door. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not just filming. I'm studying. Mm. I'm That's studying big. the game. I can relate to that. Like, you go into every room, every door, every radio station. I'm building my connects. I'm getting the contacts. I'm, like, looking around. I'm seeing, oh, this is how this works. This is how this works. I'm like, okay. Would you so, recommend people to to kind of tap into that and kind of capitalize off of that, even if they're not really into camera stuff? You know, I wasn't really into camera stuff. Like, me being a cameraman, it wasn't my purpose. I wasn't exactly talented, but I was creative in how I would edit. So, so it did a couple things for me. One, it taught me marketing. Mm. Because when I would edit it this way, it would get 200,000 views. When I would edit it this way, it would get 2 million views. Mm. So I learned what the people wanted through experimentation. So it was like, even though it was kind of a shitty job, like mm-hmm. being the cameraman ain't the cool job. Right. I was making it cool because I'm like, I'm CEO Charlie. I'm a celebrity cameraman. I was like the first one. Like, like we didn't call it a vlog back then, but that's what it was. Right. We were the first ones doing vlogs. Mm-hmm. People call it vlogs nowadays and do videos every day. That was me and Soldier Boy first. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, it was cool. Studied the game, ended up getting fired um, because Soldier Boy was like stealing lyrics from my friends. Like, I got a friend, his name is, uh, so he was a Spitcho game artist, right? Mm-hmm. He was in a group called um, PLP and they had a song called Crank That Roosevelt. Mm, I definitely heard that before. S T O N E M O U N T A I N. And, um, one of the guys in the group, his name is Mega Measy. Mm. Mega Measy yeah. is 21 Savage's manager today. Mm. So it's like, this whole like spit your game, like little era, produced some of the crazy, like 21 Savage was discovered by Mega Measy. Like, mm. like he's one of the biggest managers in the game now. But he called me and he was like, yo, check your boy. I'm like, what you talking about? He's like, he keeps stealing our lyrics and our dance moves. And I'm with him. I'm with Soldier Boy. But my friends, my real life friends in Atlanta are looking at me like I'm crazy because I'm with the dude who's stealing. So I check Soldier Boy. I'm like, I remember we were in New York at a subway ordering a sandwich. I was like, bro, you got to stop doing that. And it was like my first time kind of like manning mm-hmm. up to him because I'm the cameraman. You're not exactly supposed to like man up right, to right. the, you know. And I was like, bro, you got to stop. You got to chill with that. And I was just doing a whole bunch of stuff, like, that was leading to me getting fired. Like, I was caught up too much in the hype. I was, like, on tour, Diamond Chain. I'm, like, in music videos. Like, I'm in the Soldier Girl music video. I think I'm the man. Long story short, I got fired. Um, Right back to my mom's basement. And uh, I was humbled by it. And I ended up street team. Like, I went from being on tour, biggest artist in the world at the time, to I'm passing out flyers in New Orleans at the 2007 All-Star Game. Like, come to this party. Mm-hmm. Come to this party. But there's a there's something special about, like, when things are really bad. And I always think about it like Santa Claus. Like Santa Claus delivers all the presents in the middle of the night when it's dark. So when something is 
dark happening in my life. I'm just looking around like I know the presents are around here somewhere. <laughs> and like you feel me? <laughs> so so it's like beat me getting fired from being the cameraman. I told my mom, I'm like, Ma, I- I'm gonna be a manager. Like, this is a good thing. And uh, she said, what do you know about managing rappers? I said, I'm going to be the best in the game because I know the marketing. I was the cameraman. I was in every door. I know from the street team all the way up to how to edit something to all the way how to make something go viral. Like, this is a winning streak. Mm -hmm. This isn't a losing streak. Like, if I never got fired, I'd still be a cameraman. Now I get to be the big boss manager. And I signed a girl group. Uh, named Vistoso Bosses. Uh, you probably never heard of them, uh, but I got them a record deal. And I got them on the radio, and I got them on 106 and Park. But um, How did en- you get them a record deal, like, with the little connects you had and stuff and being a young age and all that? Soldier Boy uh, didn't like me, but Interscope Records did. Mm-hmm. So I was so ambitious, and I was I left such a good, like, paper trail of, like, me like giving everything I had to that cameraman position and me having like this little media outlet that I could plug an artist into. So I had this like little world that I built that was bigger than me. A lot of times we want to, we want to make something about us. Like this could be your podcast, but nah, it's producer grind podcast. That's big. Mm. So it's like you could, you have an ecosystem and Interscope records looked at me as like this little whiz kid. Like, he knows something. Mm-hmm. Because older folks, like, they're sitting in their corporate offices. They need young folks to tell them what's up. Right. So I was that young guy who kind of knew what was up, kind of had a movement. So Interscope Records was like, yeah, we'll take a chance on this. And uh, also College Park Music as well, who Soldier Boy was signed to and Ying Yang Twins. So they did the joint collaboration because mm-hmm. that's how Interscope Records is set up. No artist can just sign to Interscope Records. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Iovine is one of the smartest individuals in the world with how he set up his record label. If you're going to be signed to Interscope Records, you have to be signed through a producer because Jimmy Iovine knows producers are the ones who make the hits, not the artists. That's a big jam. So that's why Dr. Dre has his label deal with Interscope Records. That's why Mike Will has a record deal with Interscope Records. That's why Polo to Don back in the day, College Park Music back in the day, producers are the only way you can sign to Interscope. Sauce. Crazy, mm-hmm. right? Other mm-hmm. record labels, you just signed to Def Jam. Interscope Records is like, nah, you can't just sign to us. You got to sign to a producer and your deal goes through that producer because mm-hmm. the producers make the hits. Mm-hmm. Period. Shoot. So, girl group, we're signed to College Park Music. Um, ended up getting them all over television, everything. We're moving. We're doing a show in Washington, D.C. Next thing you know, I'm getting cussed out. Girls, they just, they just didn't want to work with me anymore. I was too caught up once again. Like with Soldier Bus, too caught up in the hype. I was not focused. I was getting them results, but I wasn't making them feel special. They were... They what do you mean you was getting caught up? You just being there? I mean... I mean, I'm a young, 18, 19-year-old dude. We got a record deal. Like, I'm hollering at all the girls. <laughs> I'm you, trying to be you, cool. You. I got my own photo shoot. Like, 
manager isn't supposed to have his own photo shoot. Just doing too much. I was doing way yeah. too much. Gotcha. And it left the it left space for somebody to get in their ear. So it left space for somebody to not be loyal. Mm. So who slides on into their ear? Big industry manager, Sierra's manager. And uh they left me. Girl group left me. And I'm right back to my mom's basement. But I'm a delusional optimist. When something's bad, I'm looking for the presence. <laughs> it's dark out. Right, Gifts got to be somewhere. Right. And so it hit me. This girl group, they were kind of poppy. They were like the Disney version of outcast girl group. I couldn't take them to the nightclub. So this is my realization. I'm like, I'm from Atlanta. I need to keep it true to Atlanta. I need to go back to my roots. Little girl poppy group. Yeah, that's fine. But I need to be able to go to the strip club. So I found a group named Dim Hard Hitters. We changed their name to Travis Porter. And we specialized in strip club music. Specialist. Specialized. Thanks. The tempos. And this is another thing for young producers listening. We'll always like weave lessons in is to study the game and the tempo changes. At the time, when Travis Porter, when I first signed them, the tempo in music was slow. I'm talking about, like, snail slow. We're talking about Gucci Man. I don't know, 50 BPM, like, slow music. And But, like, club music can be slow. It's okay. But we were like, okay, well, what's going to be the next wave? So. We were like, what if we make some more up-tempo music, like double time, like, you know, you know, bring it back. You know, we did Go Shorty Go. We sped up a little bit, you know, and then we just started specializing in a, a faster tempo um, because we wanted to always see what was next. Now, this is another thing that I want everybody to realize um, when kind of like sizing up your strategy mm-hmm. for uh, for for who's going to blow up next so producers always think they're gonna blow up by working with a major artist yeah pause producers blow up when they when they collaborate with an artist and they blow up together look at can't tell you how many producers how many people have sat in that seat and said the exact same thing everybody has said that same thing it works it's like it's like okay in our era like we blew up with so so right before us, it was like K.E. and Young L.A. Mm. and J. Money. Boom. And then with Travis Porter, it was um, like DJ Spins. Mm. You know, cut it up. You know, like, right. boom. Like, he produced, you know, Go Shorty Go. And then he went on to produce a whole bunch of, like, other big records. But then it's like, it's like Mike Will and 2 Chains and Future, like that era. You know, it's like the producer always works with a young artist and they come up together. But there's a way to kind of predict and strategize these, these cultural shifts. And I call it the little brother theory. Okay, I'm going to break this down for everybody listening. Say there's two brothers, an older brother and a little brother. Older brother's coming up in the game and loves two chains, right? Little brother 
looks up to older brother. It's like, I'm going to like whatever you like. And then that little brother gets to a certain age. And that little brother's like, you know what? I want my own identity. Mm. I don't want to like what you like. I like Lil Yachty. And the older brother's like, that's not real hip hop. That's trash. But you always got to understand this philosophy with working with new artists that it's okay to work with artists that might seem like trash because that trash, quote unquote, is only considered trash by somebody who's old. (laughs) The young people like it because it gives them their own identity and they actually want their parents and their older brother to think it's trash. So I remember when 21 Savage first came out. Guess who came to me and was like, Charlie, listen to my new artist. Measy. Measy sitting in the, in the um, parking lot in his car of street execs. He's like, Charlie, come listen to this. Because I used to do the same thing with him back in the day with Travis Porter. I was to be, I would like pull up to his house in Stone Mountain. And be like, oh, listen to this new song. He'll be like, oh, this is jamming. So he then began to do that with me. And he's playing me 21 Savage. Because I'm this big industry expert, right? He's playing it for me. And I'm like, Measy, like, I'm not feeling this. Like, I don't get it. But the kids loved it. Mm -hmm. I thought it was like low quality. I thought it was like rapping a little bit off beat and it just wasn't that good. And I didn't understand why people were going so crazy over it. But I was old. I didn't realize the little brother theory that sometimes when something doesn't make sense to you, you just got to study the game enough and know that usually it's going to be something that's trash that becomes the next wave. So you can't, you can't think you know everything. You got to study the game and you got to talk to the kids. And when you're able to hop on a certain wave because you studied the game and you get off of what you think is dope alone and you just start studying what the kids like, it'll help you as a producer so much because usually things go in the opposite direction like a pendulum swing. It's like, what y'all see what, what type of pants I'm wearing right now, right? Let me show the crowd. <laughs> so I'm wearing... Some baggy ass pants, right? Like, okay, I see, is, I, see, I see the off white drip. Though. We got no bell bottoms. So, so then, then they're not exactly bell bottoms. They're just really <laughs> wide, wide leg pants. Now, why am I wearing these? Why am I wearing a two three X shirt from a thrift store? Because I study the kids. See, how old are y'all? 22, 20, 26. 22? 20. 20. 26. All right, cool. You're in the right age group. You're starting to get a little too old. You're ancient. Dumber. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I'm 31, but I study the game. I'm walking through this. Um, I'm in Bakersfield, California. And I'm at this Zoomies. And I just like to go study the game, whether it's music, whether it's fashion, anything, culture. And there was this employee who works there, and he was super swagged up. He had these big old pants on, tucked in shirt. All these chains. And I was like, tell me about your fashion. He's like, everything's from a thrift store. Like, we wear pants from the 90s. Baggy is back. And I'm like, just studying the game. And I'm like, okay. He's like, yeah, if you can get it at a mall, we don't want it. Facts. He's like, we don't want something from the mall. 
It's like, that's why we're shopping at the thrift stores. But this is how fashion, this is how cultural changes because this is the little brother. He's 19 years old and he wants his own identity. So if it's skinny jeans, so now when I'm looking at somebody fashionable, like if you're wearing like skinny jeans, you, you're not fashionable right now. When I see a kid wearing like the, the baggy pants, I'm like, oh, he knows what he's doing. So it's like studying the game. What's next in music? What's the next sound? Once you start studying the game and you see what the kids are liking, like y'all have heard of the term dad hat, right? Mm-hmm. Y'all know who created the term dad hat? You, right? Me. How'd that happen? I effectively changed the name of baseball cap. <laughs> and now everybody calls it dad hat. For the little boom, you got fitted caps, you got snapbacks, you got five panels, and you got dad hats, and you got trucker hats. Dad hats didn't have a name, but I was doing the clothing lines for two chains, and I tried to give this kid in LA a snapback. He looked at me like I was crazy. I'm like, what are you talking about? Disrespectful, almost. But no, no, this was this was this was four year, four or five years ago. Like, oh, okay. all my okay. artists wore snapbacks. Everybody oh, okay. wore snapbacks. Currently, it was during that area. Okay, so this is how this happened. What you're talking about, it takes time for cultural sh- trends to shift. So I give, try to give this kid a snapback. He's like, we don't wear them. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm the biggest artist in the game. They wear snapbacks every day. <laughs> like, nah, we wear Bryson Tiller caps. I'm like, what you talking about Bryson Tiller caps? Like, you know, I'm like a little brown, you know, build, like got a little like emoji or something on the, I'm like, I know what you're talking about, but like, I'm like, all right, cool. So I do my market research and I'm studying the game and I look up all these fashion trends in LA and I see like the norm core fashion of like, y'all know how like YG tucks in his shirt and has like the high water, mm-hmm. like pants. That's called norm core. Right. So it's like, I'm like, okay, like dressing like Steve Jobs is a thing. Right, like a nerd. Who gets you to slide over this little bit for the camera? Can't wait. I'm all over the place. <laughs> Man, they hopped up, showed off the bell button. For real? <laughs> so I'm looking at the norm core fashion because I'm always studying the next wave. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to call these dad hats because dressing like a dad is cool. So I took it to two chains. And he was like, man, that's kind of corny. So you were little brother in this situation. I was little little brother in this situation. And 2 Chainz wore these hats. Like, he was fashionably, like, right. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to come up with the name for it. Mm. And I wanted to have the best designs. And I wanted to have the best online store. And I wanted to, like, change culture. It was already moving. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to own the name. Because people didn't know what to call it. And I damn sure ain't about to call it Bryson Tillercap. (laughs) <laughs> and I damn sure ain't about to call it a baseball cap because I can't rank number one on Google for it. Next. Two changes Big like that's that's uh that's corny. And I said, bro, last corny idea I thought of made you two million dollars in thirty days. Mm. Like, just trust me on this one. And that was the dad and Santa. Santa. And which was super corny. But corny sometimes works. So I came up with the term dad hat and I started running ads on Shade Room and uh and Baller Alert to sell our hats and people just started calling it. I remember about two, three weeks later, Fabulous and Wiz Khalifa got into a little Twitter debate about this fashion trend 
and they used the term dad hat. And then that's when it became set in stone. Mm. That that's what it's called. So they saw fabulous Wiz Khalifa, Baller Alert, Shade Room, and 2 chains. So it's almost like when you were doing these ads, it was kind of like a PR deployment too. Exactly. On the term versus even just, just promotion. Exactly. 100%. So Dad Hat then gets picked up by Zoomies, Tillies, Macy's, Lids. It became the industry standard. But all this came from me talking to a middle school kid. Okay, so I got a question. You're, Talk talking, about, you're talking about market research, right? What does market research look like for a producer right now? If I was a producer, I would be like, I would be, I, one, I'd stand. I'd take a trip to Atlanta, and I'll stand on the corner of um, Lowry and um, and Ralph David Abernathy. Where's that at? Hold on. Lowry. Lowry and Ralph side? David Abernathy by the AUC. You've got the perfect mixture of college kids and the hood mm. on this corner. You're going to hear both. You're, and just listen. I'd stand there for three hours and write down Every everything I hear. Straight up. Thanks. I'll just write it down. I would then go to a skating rink party yeah. for a teenage. Be like, what's oh, next? Oh, skating rink, like. Yeah. Okay. What well, what are the kids listening to? So now I got the college kids for three hours. I got the hood for three hours. And then let me go listen to what the kids are listening to in the high schools. And I'll start piecing it together. I'll see, okay, who's the producers of these songs? Who do the kids think are dope. And then I would go to a couple like independent artists and be like, okay, who are the producers you wish you could record to? Like, I remember like, for example, like you never know who's going to blow up. Y'all know Buddha Bless, right? Yeah. yeah. So sure. Buddha used to be in the studio with Travis Porter and they never recorded any of his beats. He was always dope. Buddha's hard. Buddha's hard, right? Yeah. Hard as hell. Hard as hell. Ridiculous. You know, Buddha's first like placement placement mm -mm. was the 2 Chainz Drake record. You woke up this morning, you blessed. Um, I got a big amount. Yeah. I oh, took a different yeah. route. I mean, yeah. Like, Buddha brought the flute to the game, and Hell then everybody yeah. took the flute. Like, all the beats, like, had flutes for the next, you know, few months, right. you know? Shit but to this day. To this yeah, yeah. day, right? So yeah. it's like, but Buddha was always dope. But he was in the studio with Travis Porter seven years ago, eight years ago. Same producer. You just got to be looking. And you just like, like you can't size somebody up because they don't have credits. So what you mean? So why didn't y'all, y'all didn't record with him because he didn't have credits it, or it was just too exotic? Or? It was, he was, he was Strap's cousin's friend. So it was like the respect wasn't all the way there. Got you. So it was like, that's the mistake we make. Got you. Like we can't, we can't treat somebody based off of their credit. Like, we got to, like, actually study who's dope and be open-minded. I'm a student of the game. When you get in that student of the game mentality, like, I'm going to take a day and I'm going to do market research. I'm going to go stand on a corner. I'm going to go ask questions. So it's like, with Travis Porter, for example, Mr. Hankey, he introduced me to this kid who made, made uh, who mixed records. His name was Marcus. He was homeless. Ellsworth Industrial Boulevard Studio, sleeping on the couch. And, and it was a good kid. And I said, you know what? Let me give you a job. We need an engineer. And he was only charging us $50 to mix records. Like dirt cheap. And, and he, he was fired. good. And he would like mix a song in 20 minutes. Mm. It was dope. 
It was fast, and it was the best mixes I had ever heard. One day, he brought a keyboard to the studio, like a big old 88 Keys keyboard, and we're like clowning him, like, what are you doing? <laughs> He's like, nah, I make beats. I'm like, man, you can't make a beat. We've never seen you make a beat before. You've never had a keyboard before. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I was really trying them up. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, that's a big-ass keyboard right. for somebody who's an engineer. <laughs> bro, people be coming to our events with those 88s. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, like, bro, we ain't got enough storage space in here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Bro, you need to buy another ticket. So the upcharging. So, so... First beat he made was, uh, I'll play it for you. I'll play you the very first beat he made. Never. Yeah. He said he. You can't underestimate people. You cannot underestimate. I don't even have my, I just got this new phone about an hour ago. See the pro? You know what's pro. weird about it? I don't feel like I have a new phone. Like, come on, Apple. I want to feel like I have a new phone. Mm. You know? He made this beat. On the spot, right in front of you. You wanna see, see some, some ass? I wanna see, see some cash. Keep them dollars coming, and that's gonna make. Song went top ten in the country. First beat he made. Whipped it up right in front of you. Come on, man. Second beat he made. Damn. Second. You remember this record? Mm. 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 They switched it up over there. Bring it up. Bring it back. Bring it back also went top 10 in the country. This kid, like, who was homeless, just changed my life mm. forever. The same kid made, hey, ladies, okay, now, ladies. Were you telling him the vibes you wanted, or these were all from nah, him? man, this is all. Nobody had ever heard that sound before. Mm. Like, I remember my first time hearing Make It Rain. This shit is actually a weird-ass, super slow beat. Like, it was, like, 50 BPMs, and I remember, like, first time we played it in the club, it felt awkward. No one really know what to do. It was so slow. <laughs> it was like, nobody had ever heard a sound like this before. That weird arp in the background, too. I remember we edited this mm -hmm. song like 70 times because we're moving stuff around, making pre-hooks, making little bridges, making the little girls say, make it rain, trick, make it, like just moving stuff around. And it was just, we had never heard anything like it before. But that's what happens when you work with a new producer. Mm. Like that's what happens when like, it's just like organic, like dude sits in the studio, records you every day, like has a vision. You just got to listen to people. Mm. Like we were open enough to listen. We were clowning them. But like, like you can't make a beat. I was roasting he, him. But when he did, it was dope. Then he went on to discover Iggy Azalea and Post Malone. Mm, like you man. can't underestimate anybody. And if you're on this um, podcast listening right now, like, like people probably underestimate you. People probably don't rock with you. Don't listen to your beats. Listen, anything can change at any moment. Like anybody can get it. Like the man was homeless, and Post Malone signed to the man. Right. That's crazy. So that's crazy. A lot of this, like I'm hearing last podcast, we talked with Ilmine and he was talking about not everybody's meant to be a producer. Mm. And it sounds like a lot of the mentality that you're talking about is not necessarily being a producer. So if you are a producer, how do you recognize if hey, this isn't really my lane as a producer, or maybe I'm more of a visionary? 
Man, listen, I'm not a producer. I'd be the best producer if I started making beats right now. Because I know how to hustle. You ready? So that's more important than actually having the skill or the equally as important. I've seen producers be trash and they find a way to get good. Like, <laughs> man, let me tell you about Mike Will. Mike Will had the craziest hustle game I've ever seen in my life. My man was almost, and Mike Will, forgive me for this, but I think it's a compliment. My man was almost obnoxious. <laughs> like, he would drop off beats with us, and he was Mike Will. He had done something for, like, Gucci Man before. You know, he had been in the game, but, like, when he would drop off beats, it would be like, this is not really, like, that good, so we're not going to record to it. And then, like, 10 minutes later, he would, like, leave the studio, and he would call, y'all started recording yet? He like, like chill <laughs> and he would call back like that night y'all record yet like bro like just like let them do their thing he would call the next day y'all record yet he would be like let me pull back up at the studio and drop off some more beats be like damn bro like fall back like at the time I didn't understand now I'm inspired my man Mike Will like this is the thing if you practice enough like, if you, like, practicing up, your beats are going to get good. Period. But it doesn't matter how good your beats are. If you don't have that hustle, nobody's ever going to hear one of them. There's going to be 100,000 people listening to this podcast. And how many of them are going to hustle? You got to have both. Hopefully all. Oh. 1%. We got to get that up. We got to get that up to like 75%. And that's what I want this episode to do for people because this, the strategies of getting in the studio, like getting the placements, working with the artists, understanding what to look for, understand it like, yes, I can't tell you how to make dope beats. What I can tell you how to do is how to get your dope beats in the hands of people like myself. That's one of the biggest questions we get people asking us, so we definitely need to hear this. Because people are dope. And even if your beats aren't dope, it's going to be a whack beat that makes it big. Like, it happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, like, what's dope is, is like an opinion of somebody. Mm -hmm. But like I was saying earlier with 21 Savage, like, it wasn't good. But that's what the kids like. Like, if you mm -hmm. listen to Crank That Soldier Boy, 99% of the population is like, that's trash. Right. But why does everybody like it? So we got to be careful of thinking what's so dope. So it's okay to be bad. Because being bad could be the little brother theory. Right. So don't, like, not give a beat to somebody. Oh, yeah. You said you needed to address us on this. Ooh. We about to start <laughs> beefing. Let's go ahead. Let's see it. All right. This right here, camera. Y'all see this? It says, no free beats. I disagree with this 100%. And this is going to tie back into how to get a producer to get beats into your hands. I'm telling you. To your artists. I th when I saw um, producers approach me with this mentality, they never ended up really, like, working with us. Because, like, hip-hop changed about, I don't know, maybe, like, 12, 13 years ago, where, like, mixtapes came in, and it was like, we 
the young artists started putting out mixtapes and started putting out music for free all the time because we wanted to get in the game. And the more mixtapes we gave away, the more hits we had on the radio. So producers who were like, yeah, 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 use the beats. And Zaytoven, he's great at it. Zaytoven's never on my head about like, yeah, you got to pay to have that on the mixtape. He's never on me like that. He's like, yeah, use as many as you want because he knows the secret to staying relevant. He knows the secret to always having a song on the radio. The only way to have a song on the radio is to have the artist record to your beats. Mm-hmm. If you're coming at the artist like, mm, yeah, it's going to be $5,000. I'm not emailing it to you. <laughs> artist is going to be like, all right, I'm going to go pick somebody right. else's beat. You want to be on the album? Make sure the artist records to the beat. And don't if, send snippets either. Send the, just send oh the full beat. Oh, my God. If you send me a snippet, you're never getting a song on the album. Right. <laughs> Period. <laughs> You send a step because the artist can't record. Let me break down the psychology of what's happening in a studio break session. Break it down for us. You've got an artist and you've got an engineer. Artist says these magic words to the engineer. I'm going to use uh, 2 Chains and Nolan, for example, or, or Travis Porter and Marcus, for example. Marcus, pull up some beats. Okay. Pull up a beat. Ooh, that's hard. I'm going in the booth. At what point where they're, they're a contract a snippet, <laughs> a, a, a split sheet, or right. no, there ain't none of that happening in that moment. It's Marcus, pull up some beats. That's it. You want a song with an artist? Make it easy for that artist. If you are too much about your business, and people can crucify me all they want for saying this. If you're too much about your business, you're going to put yourself out of business. Period. Listen, you want a placement Make it so easy for that artist to have beats every day. Let me go in my phone real quick. Y'all ever heard of uh, D.A. Doman? Yeah. D.A. got that dope. Mm-hmm. He's got songs like, let's see. He's got uh, the ZZ record with, uh, with Kodak and, and Travis Scott. He's got Taste Tiger featuring Offset. He's got Privacy with Chris Brown. He's got When I Like It, Fabulous and 2 Chains, Do My Dance, Tiger and 2 Chains. So this is one of the most inspirational producers in the world to me. This man, starting in, hold on, let me scroll back. So I got his name. I typed in my email, d.a.doman. I typed it in my email, and I'm going all the way back. I'm scrolling. He sent me so many. His first email he sent me was September, no, August 23rd, 2013. This man. Did not miss a day of sending me beats and anybody else in the music industry either. He would send beats every single day. Hold on, look. This, these are the beat emails. Like, how, how much does it cost him to send an email? $3.99. 30 seconds of his life, that's it. Now, if he sends one email, is he getting a beat placement? Maybe. Maybe. You can get lucky. He hit the lottery. Somebody's hit the lottery before. Like, it's possible. This man sent beat emails every day. Now, did we ever get on any of his beats? Nope. Not one. But he was doing this same thing to everybody in the game. So 2 Chains, my artist, actually was on two of his beats. One with Tiger, one with Fabulous. We never opened up an email. But he was doing this with the whole game. That's how he got all these placements. And look, I'm still scrolling. Like, if I ever needed a beat right now, if say I sign sure a new the camera can see because he really is scrolling. I'm like I'm still scrolling. <laughs> it's crazy. Now this is this hustle 
this hustle is in, in, in incredible. Like for him to not miss a day for let's see how many years he sent beat emails every was day. That six years from thirteen to now. Hold on, he stopped sending them to me when I retired from the music game. So, <laughs> two thousand seventeen, eighteen. Oh, he sent me beats in two thousand eighteen. His last beat email was six eight twenty eighteen. Crazy, right? His first email was 2013. Five years straight. That's hustle. Mike Will, every day, blowing our phones up. Blowing us up would bug us to death. Now I respect it. Now I'm inspired by it. At the time, I was like, damn, you're annoying. Now I can't even get the man on the phone. All right, look, two concerns are going through my head. Talk to me. I'm listening. I hear about building relationships. Mm -hmm. I can't be annoying. I can't turn off everybody. Right. right? Second one. Hold on. What? Uh, hold on. Hold on. Second one. I'm not trying to get be one of these producers that got finessed and never getting paid for none of my placements. So I got to be about my business. How do you answer those two questions and those two concerns? <laughs> First of all, <laughs> let's hear them. This is what happens. Tell the people. Let's hear it. Dear people, this is what's going on. You're afraid that your beat's going to get stolen right. by a big artist and just take your beat right. and just sail off into the sunset. I'm going to break it down to you like this. Big artist takes your beat, has a top 10 record in the country. Guess who's about to get paid? You get checked. You. Santa is dark. There's two, <laughs> ways, there's two ways you can go about this. You could try doing it the other way and be like, oh, you want to record my beat? You got to pay me $1,000 right now. Which is a common, if it makes them feel safe. You ain't never getting a place. From personal, from personal experience, I had that happen with one of Migos' artists mm -hmm. and got into the same situation, tried to charge him, fucked up the relationship. Mm -hmm. Yep. Block. Forever. Now, now you want to really get paid? I'm going to tell you how to really get paid. Give the beats away. Give the beat to whoever. Say, go be great. Go make it a hit. Actually, Go work this record to radio instead of them other folks. Work mine. Because when that song blows up, guess what the record label has to do? Gotta pay you. They gotta clear They're it. Like, they gotta clear it. Record label's not about to get sued by nobody. Right. Record label wants to make as much money as possible. So guess who has the leverage now? You. Record label needs you, the producer, to clear it. So instead of charging that artist $1,000, be like, I need twenty. This is a top 10 record in the country. Y'all going to go make a few million dollars. I think y'all can afford 20. You know what? Maybe even 30. You know what? You're telling the label this. Mm. Oh, I'm telling the artist this. Okay, I'm you're telling, telling the, the artist. producer. Okay, I'm telling okay. the producer. No, I'm saying you're telling the, you're saying label. Oh, Look, dear go make a million. Just fill up my gas tank. That's what you're telling them right like, now. <laughs> like, exactly. Okay. Y'all need this record. This okay. record is the song that is going in the clubs. It's already starting to move at radio. Everybody at the record label needs this song cleared. Right. So now I'm about to get paid because they need it. So I might get a 30000 I might get a 40000 depending on how big the record is. They're going to be like, pay them whatever they want. Pay that producer whatever he wants. We need this cleared. So we don't you were need just no telling, problems. You were just telling the artist, hey, look, just throw me twenty. And now when the label's coming to you, that's when you're like, oh, yeah, throw me 20. No, you never talk to the artist. You never, you never to the label. So where was the 20 that you were saying, just throw me 20? No, no, was no, that, no. that was 20,000 with the label. Okay. It's because it's the label, the artists and the producers should always be cool. Okay. You want a relationship like Gucci Man and Zaytoven. 
You want that relationship with the artist. You don't want to be trying to stick up the artist, none of this. Now, the artist might feel a certain type of way if you're like telling the label 20000 but you're going to get way more money than you ever would after the song blows up. And I've if heard they, they say that too. That happened with Versace. Yeah. And if you try to like, um, if they try to steal the, the record from you, oh, guess who's really going to get paid? Because <laughs> you'll send them up. Like if they do you wrong, oh, yeah, I hope this song goes number one. Keep going. Keep blowing it up because you're going to be able to send them up the river. Mm. You, you, yeah, you try to take advantage, like, because you're going to be the one who got it stolen from. And the bigger the song gets, the more you'll be able to sue them for. Okay, so that addresses the paid part. Uh-huh. Now let's address the, I feel like, an annoyance part. Okay, that's the toughest one. Mm-hmm. That's the hardest one. Because nobody wants to be annoying. Right. But there's this certain mentality. And I got to work on this myself. Because when I see people like Mike Will and how he got into the game, or D.A. Doman, how he got into the game, I'm like, that's inspiring. I got to step my game up. But there's this mentality of thank me later. Like, when you know what your finish line looks like, you're not going to worry about where you're at. When you, when you know where you're going, you don't have to worry about where you're at. Blow people up. If you believe in your stuff, you're giving value. You're helping them with their beat email. You're doing them a favor. You know how dope it is. Give those beats every day. Pull up at the studio. And there's one little secret that I'm going to break down on this podcast for every producer. If you want to get a placement... I got to tell you... It's kind of noisy when you touch the mic, too. Okay, my bad, my bad. No, you're good. I'm excited. I know. I'm excited. (laughs) I already know. So check this out. There's one little secret. If you want to get near an artist, you got to hit it where they ain't. Okay, it's like in baseball. You want to get on base? Hit it where nobody is looking, where nobody's standing. The engineer is the closest person to the artist. The engineer is the most slept-on person. It gets no love, no attention. Nobody's sliding into the DMs. Nobody's building a relationship. Nobody's trying to help the engineer. They're always trying to help the manager or the artist or whoever. You want to get to an artist? Let's go back to that studio session real quick. What are the magic words? Marcus, pull up the beat. Come on. Magic words. Well, how do you get a list of engineers who are close to artists? You got to go do your research. You got to go, like, study the game. If I were a young producer in the game right now, I'd pick my 50 favorite artists, big, medium, small. Keyword small is very important. And I would make a list of their engineers, and I'd be like, how could I help you? Is there something I could do to help? Like, um, maybe, maybe I have some software that they need. Like, let me help you with some software. Or maybe, you know, you just like showing love or like you connect them with somebody. Just show love to the engineer. Get a good relationship with the engineer. Next thing you know, engineer's like, oh, your beats are dope. I'm going to pull them up for the artist. Next thing you know, you're sitting in the studio with the engineer and the artist becomes familiar with you because you're just part of the crew. One day, artist's going to be like, hey, you got some beats, right? Yeah, I got beats right here. Boom. Next thing you know, artist is in the booth, according to your beat, all because you showed love to the engineer. It's the cheat code to the entire music game. How do you, how do you, where would you start by trying to find those engineers? Well, um, like for 2 Chains, for example, his engineer is kind of known now. His name is Nolan. Um, 
But look on the Snapchats. Um, ask, ask people in the camp. So just like, like if you're, if you're looking at two chains, you can pretty much find out who his friends are. You can find out who his DJ is. You can find out who certain producers are that have worked with him. Be like, who's two chains' engineer? And just ask. And I would ask ten people if I if I had an artist I was looking for two chains. Okay, say it's my goal to work with two chains. I'll then ask ten people around them who the engineer is, and I'd get the answer. Absolutely, it would be done. Like if somebody were to DM me, two chains engineer's name. His name is Nolan. I'll just respond that quick. It's easy for me to respond. Boom, that easy. Now, if it's a young artist and they don't have an engineer, they just record at different studios. Then it's probably somebody like me, their manager. Who like I used to pull up Travis Porter's beats for him, like I used to engineer GarageBand. Mm. We recorded all the way turned up on GarageBand, yeah. hundred dollar microphone, top ten record in the country. I'm pulling that up, and it was on a Vibe beat off SoundClip. Hey, shout out to Vibe. Shout out to Vibe. <laughs> Crazy, right? <laughs> off a of SoundClip, allowed the record to be downloaded for free. Guess who got paid? Vibe, because he allowed it downloaded for free. Right. Crazy, right? So. uh so yeah, that's that's what I would do. It's just simple hustle techniques. Just pull out a sheet of paper, start making lists. Yes, mm. like how, like so sometimes we get too fancy in our heads and we get too strategic, and we like overthinking stuff. But nah, like it's, it's simple. Mm. It's simple. Like I guarantee you, I could get okay. So I'm gonna do this myself. I'm gonna take my own advice because in my Quantopia podcast, my secret podcast. I want to start interviewing people like Virgil Abloh mm. and Jerry Lorenzo. And I want to interview like, for example, Rich the Kid about like finessing. I want mm -hmm. to interview Mike Will about certain things. So it's like, I'm going to take the same practice that I'm teaching the producers and I'm going to do it because I want to interview these people. You flipped the mic up a little bit. Yeah, like my this. bad. Oh, oh, I was angled up. Like other that? Oh, other way. Boom, yeah, right there. there. So yeah, so... Like, I'm going to take these same practices. I made a list in my notebook uh, yesterday of all the relationships I have. And then I'm building out the list of people I want to interview. Like a web. Like a web. Exactly. Like this person knows this person. So then that person, let me find five people around that person. Let me hit them up. And then how could I get in the same room? That's the goal. You could do like DA Doman, load up the beat emails every single day. That should be a part of the playbook. Like right. the goal is to run a play. It's like, say we're a football team and you got one play that nobody can stop. Why would you ever run another play? Right. It's like, these are plays that are defined. Like Mike Will pulling up to the studio every day. Boom, 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 boom. D.A. Doman emailing every day. Boom, boom, boom. I would love to see. Like, now, D.A. Doman had to like do his research to find my email. But it's like, he shot it every day. But you can't be mad. Like, he never got mad at me for not recording on his beats. He would call me. He would be like, yo, y'all record? Be like, nah. But he would still shoot the email. He never got discouraged. And even though or we emotional. never got on him, other big artists did. Like, think about having a record like ZZ off of sending emails every day for nine years. Right. I'd do it. I love, the, I love the analogies of running play, football, all that That's shit. what Coach K said. Remember Coach K was like, I look at everything as like, uh, he accredits football to Game plan, one of, yeah. Uh, his, one of mm. the way he, way he runs his label. Facts. I feel like I feel like most producers, young producers trying to come up, they don't have a play. It's not mm. really a play. It's more like a dream. It's, it's a dream. Like, mm. Okay. One day this shit's gonna fall out of the sky. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's it's it could fall out of the sky, but I'm not gonna bet my money on the sky falling. 
Right. It's happened for people. Yeah. Yeah. People have like had miracles happen. I'm not going to discredit those miracles, but I would bet on, okay, let me do this same play every day for a year. It's simple. It doesn't cost me anything. One year? One year. Mm-hmm. Let me let me get to a year. And I've always had this like number that has been uh, like recurring mm-hmm. in my life. And my name is, my name is Charlie Rocket. And I like rockets uh, because a rocket starts off slow. Like, it's hard getting this thing off the ground. If we're producers, we're ultimately entrepreneurs. And it's hard getting a business off the ground because nobody believes. But it's 62 miles to outer space. The first mile is the hardest. Takes the most gas. Takes more gas than the whole rest of the trip combined. Mm. Like, that's how hard it is to get something off the ground. But you know what? It's okay. Because we know where outer space is. It's that way. And it's only 62 miles that way. So if I just keep pushing, I know eventually when I get to outer space, there won't be any more gravity. And it's able to move faster and easier than ever. 62 is the magic number. For me, Travis Porter, we released 62 records before our top 10. Mm. With two chains. It was 58. It was right around 62, right? And then in my Ironman, when I did my Ironman, which is a 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike ride, 26.2-mile run, I went back in my Strava app, and I counted how many training sessions I did. It was 62 for each category, run, bike, swim. So it was like I was able to do a whole Ironman off of 62 training sessions. That's not even that bad. It's not that bad. It's never that bad. 62 songs? Like, I could do that. Right. But you know what? It feels a little tricky when you're at song number 13 and you don't feel like you're moving. Mm-hmm. Song number 42, you're still not there. It's still hard. Song number 51, you're still not there. So what do most people do when they're at song 46 and they're not there? Yeah. They're like, Change oh, the it doesn't plan. work. Change direction. Let me go back. It's like if we were to drive from here to, uh, where are you from? I'm from Atlanta. You're from Atlanta? Yeah. You're from Atlanta? Not Rochester. New York? Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Rochester, New York. <laughs> we're in Atlanta right now. We're on Anton Street. We're about to drive to Rochester. What's that? 14 hours? <sighs> yeah, like 15, 16. 15, 16 hours, right? You get in your car. You're driving. You get to West Virginia. Are you in Rochester? Hell no. <laughs> Do you say to yourself, I'm not in Rochester yet. You know what? Let me go back home. <laughs> Let me figure out another way to get to Hell Rochester. Right, right. <laughs> you don't say that. You know the direction. If right. I just keep going this way, I'm going to get to Rochester. Like, period. Like, that's just how it works. But in our businesses, we get to West Virginia and we're like, oh, we're not in Rochester. Let me go back home. Mm, then you go right. back home. And then you're like, I still want to go to Rochester. So then you get right. back in the car. You start driving again. And you're like in North Carolina, I'm not in Rochester. Let me go back home. Mm, right. It doesn't make sense to do that. Because once you know where you're going, you know the end point destination. All I got to do is just keep going. I just got to keep pushing in that direction. Push a little gas in that direction. As a producer, I'm telling you the playbook. I've been in the game. Uh, I'm now retired. I was in the game 12 years. If I was a young producer, 
I would work with all the small, small artists, period. I would study who's starting to move. I would look in the skating rinks. I would stand on the streets corners and I would ask people who's next. I would then develop a list of people who know that artist and who are surrounded by that artist and even other artists just like them. Because if it was early Travis Porter days, I would have been like, Young LA, Young Dro, Rich Kids, Travis Porter. I would have developed all those artists and I'd be like, who's all their engineers? Okay, let me get friends with all their engineers. Like, you got to become a professor of the jungle. By a professor of the jungle, I got this term from Phil Knight. Phil Knight is mm. the guy who started Nike. And mm. he, when he opened up his factory in Vietnam, he had one request. He said, I want to talk to the general of the army. Because that general of that little army in that little country of Vietnam defeated all the superpowers of the world. The biggest armies in the world lost to this little guy who was five foot two in a little country. And that little country beat everybody. And when he asked him, he said, I was a professor of the jungle. He said, I knew where every single trench was. I knew where every cave was. I knew where every tree was. I knew where every hill was. That's how we beat the superpowers. So in the music game, I wanted to become a professor of the jungle. When I wanted to take songs top 10, I, I boiled it down to the simplest play. How do I create the play of this elaborate thing like having a song go top 10? I'll look at it like this. Okay, songs top 10 in the country. Boom. There's these radio stations called Radio One. Radio One has 13 stations across the nation. And all 13 get on this one phone call once a month with the Atlanta station because the Atlanta station determines what goes national. And that Atlanta station is called Hot 107.9. Hot 107.9 has a program director named Hurricane Dave. He's the decision maker. He's the most important person in the music industry. Well, he's influenced by these six mix show DJs. These six mix show DJs are in the strip clubs, DJing. These strip club DJs are influenced by these dancers. So who are the dancers that influence the DJs, that influence Hurricane Dave, that influences the entire nation? So now I have these 12 strippers who decide what goes national. Yeah. That's my play. Okay, let me go take care of these girls. Let me go support them. Let me go talk to them. Let me go like take care of them. They need to feel like we care about them and their lives and their careers. Strippers hate broke artists or artists that act cheap. Mm -hmm. So we're going to always take care of the strippers. And then the strippers, we're going to say, can you go request this song to this DJ every night? Of course they will. Now the DJs are playing the songs in the club. The strippers like the songs. The DJs are like, oh, this is a hot record. Mm -hmm. Boom. They're going to Hurricane Dave. Hurricane Dave now starts playing the record. Then all the radio stations across the country are asking Hurricane Dave, you see where I'm going with this? So how do we do this as a producer? I would do it with the engineers. One play. I would send emails every single day. I'll be the first email. What time do producers and artists go to the studio? Night. Eight, nine, ten o'clock. I'm putting an email at nine o'clock every night. Like clockwork. 
when they're mm. pulling up their email, what's the first beat? What's the first email you're going to click on? The one at the top. Not clicking on the third or fifth. You might eventually. I'm gonna put that first email in nine o'clock every day. Clockwork. I need fifty emails going out every night at nine o'clock. I'm gonna be cooking up my beats all day, putting emails in at night. That's my play. Then I would know the producers, know the engineers, and try to be around it and pull up. If you're in a small town, doesn't matter. Remember what I said about Soldier Boy? Soldier Boy is Batesville, Mississippi. 16,000 people, biggest artists in the country. Mm. Doesn't matter where you're from. Can't have that excuse. Yeah, it's an easy excuse for people to say, oh, I'm not in. I'm not in Atlanta. Like, I can't we hear be a, a big lot. producer. Right. <laughs> Where's D.A. Doman from? Hold on, let me pull up the wiki. Because D.A. Doman is definitely D.A. Doman, Chicago. Boom. All the artists that recorded on his music were from L.A. and New York. The man sitting in Chicago sending emails. <laughs> Come on. I don't want any excuses, young producers. Mm. Period. I like how you take it. You took the unreachables and just went down the, the trickle till you got there. This is someone I can go pull up tonight. Professor of the jungle. You gotta understand how it works. <laughs> I'm more looking at the trenches, like that's a banana tree. That's a banana all the tree. banana trees are. That's right. That's how you gotta be with your craft. Facts. What's making things move? Mm. What little club? You know how the Migos broke? Mm. At a Measy's party, Twenty One Savage's manager, before he was a manager, had a party at uh, what's the name of it on Buford Highway, big club. Ali? Oh, no, yeah, the big club. Uh, Dreams, think not Dreams. Um. Uh, Big club, big club, Buford Highway, boom, Buford. right by Follies, right, right by there. You talking about the one with the palm trees, the strip club with the palm trees? No, nah, no, nah, nah. it wasn't a strip club. So. It was a big club, eighteen and up club, college kids. Anyways, forgot the name of it. Most popping party in Atlanta, and things shift. People like different times, um, different uh, demographics break different records. Sometimes the strip clubs break records in Atlanta. Sometimes the college kids break records in Atlanta. So it goes back and forth. So you got to be a professor of the jungle and see where the record's breaking. This club was the most popping party in Atlanta. And the Migos had one play. We're going there every Friday night. That's it. We're going there every Friday night. We're going to mm. have a relationship with that DJ. And the Migos blew up out of it. Mm. That's it. That was the play. Done. Yeah. That's it. We're going, we're going to own that club. Let me ask you a question. Does anybody in this room know how to boil a lake? Like, think about it. Try grasping that concept. Bring right me now. like a meteor or something. <laughs> you need like some big, like, yeah. A dang nuke or something. A nuke, yeah. Something like that. Now, can you boil a pot of water? Of course. Okay. 60 seconds or less. Come on. A club? Yeah, that's a hot stove. Can you, can you boil, Electric. can you boil a club? That's manageable. 2,000 people. I'm going to hit every single one of them who hit the hashtag. I'm going to hit the DJ. I'm going to pass out CDs every night or flyers every night. We're going to show up. We're going to become familiar. Over six months, we'll be able to boil this club. I can do that. Boil in a lake, that's hard. Boil in this club, that's easy. Mm. That's what the Migos did. So it's like you might take 20 artists and you might just boil it. Next thing you know, they're talking to each other. They're friends with each other. You record on one, one records on your beat. Now all the others are like, yeah, like I heard you on boom, 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 boom. Now you got this like ecosystem, ecosystem a little pot of water. Mm -hmm. So it's like, that's analogies. Fact. Mm. Super gems. 
Now, one one thing I'm picking up here. This boy different. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm picking up a whole bunch of stuff here. But um, now I know you're a big law of attraction guy. You're a big Joe Dispenza mindset mm. guy, and I want to get into that. Mm. But before we even get into that, I want to I want the people to take notice that you're not just relying on oh my mindset's gonna get me there. Mm-mm. I've been hearing nothing but strategy. I've been hearing nothing but game plan. I've been hearing nothing but tactics. Come on, man. So there's two versions of me. There's CEO Charlie, who was all strategy and tactic. I believed I did everything in my life. I believed one plus one equaled two. And it's true. I would wake up earlier. I'd pass out more CDs. I'd hit up more engineers. I'd hit up more DJs. And I got one plus one equaled two. That's a linear equation. When I got sick, I was 300 pounds diagnosed with a brain tumor. I wanted to leave the music industry. I wanted a, a do-over in life. Um, we had just won a Grammy. Uh, I was facing death. M- music meant nothing to me anymore. When you're broken, all you have left is your truth. That's it. And my truth was, I didn't chase my true dream. My true dream as a kid was I wanted to be an athlete. I settled for becoming a music mogul. That's, I was good at it. I liked it. But at nighttime, or when you're like facing death, you don't think about the things you did. You think about the things you wish you did. Mm. And the thing I always wished I did was to be fit and to be an athlete. Always overweight. Ever since I was a kid. And then this was when I was introduced to the power of manifestation. Because it took me 12 years to get big in the music industry. I wanted to be an athlete and that didn't make sense to me or anybody else, but I knew it's what I wanted. And I started believing in something bigger and I got introduced to quantum physics and how quantum physics explains the law of attraction. And I'm like, whoa, like this is possible? Like the way atomic particles are, aren't like pieces of matter, they're like waves, they're energy and like we're all connected and there might be space in between you and me. But it's like, there's not space between you and me because like there's all this like connection happening in the invisible. It's kind of like a radio. Like how many songs are flying past your face right now? <laughs> Millions. Crazy. Crazy to think about it, right? Yeah. Can you see it? Uh, Can you hear it? Yeah, that's a slapper right there. <laughs> Hold on. That's actually interesting that you just said that. Because it is a slapper. But you can't see it. You can't hear it. But it's there. Until you take a little box called a radio, which is like kind of a phenomenon. The fact that something can fly through the air and this little box can play it. Like if this was 200 years ago, y'all would have like hung me for witchcraft. <laughs> like imagine like a garage door opening. Like 200 years ago, I press a button and a door opens. Like they would have been like, kill him. <laughs> like, but, but, but how did this button get to that door? A radio wave. A radio, a wave. Right? A wave carries information even though it's invisible. And it's instant. And it's instant. It's crazy. So there's something flying in between all of us right now. And I was like, can I manifest something crazy? And I would pull out my notebook and I called it my quantum possibilities notebook. And I would say, I'm going to become a Nike athlete. Makes no sense. I don't play for the Lakers. I'm not in the Olympics. I'm fat 
and I'm slow and I'm short and I'm white. Like, what sport could you possibly play to be a Nike athlete? Hockey. Hockey? <laughs> <laughs> if I get torn to pieces, the boys will throw me around. I'm too small for that. But is is maybe the goalie? Maybe I just lay down and just block right. block the goal. But um, but I I I started believing that I could manifest being a Nike athlete, and I would write down I'm going to be in a commercial with LeBron James and Serena Williams, and I just wanted to manifest it. I wanted I needed something to be bigger than one plus one equal two. What I needed in my life to save my life is I needed one plus one to equal a thousand. I'm good at the strategy stuff. I know how to do that. But I don't know how to do that with becoming a Nike athlete. There's nothing I could go pass out CDs for or like send more emails. Like that's just not how it works. I needed something big. And I believe in the law of attraction so much that I was like, I'm going to make a fan-made Nike commercial. Like I'm going to dress up as a Nike athlete and I'm going to make my own commercial and Nike's going to see it. And Nike's going to want to sign me as an athlete. And I put out a little fan-made Nike commercial. um, And Nike calls me three days later. And all my friends who thought I was crazy are like, holy shit. Like, this law of attraction thing might be real. Like, Charlie, you did it. And they flew me up to the headquarters. And they said, Charlie, you inspired us with your commercial. I was like, I inspired you? They said, yeah, like we're going to change the direction of our company because of this concept that you made. I'm like, you're going to change the direction of your company? They were like, yeah, like your, your commercial about this like common man athlete, this dreamer, this person who just has this crazy dream to be an athlete. Like we're going to make a whole advertising campaign around this. And Nike ended up signing me as a Nike athlete. And the craziest thing in the world happened. Y'all know the Colin Kaepernick commercial? Mm-hmm. The controversial one that might be the biggest sports commercial of all time? Well, that commercial uh, had me in it. It had LeBron James and Serena Williams in it, and it was named after me. And that was what came out of my dream. I saw, I wrote down in my notebook over and over, I'm going to be in a commercial with LeBron James and Serena Williams, and this is the commercial, and we just won an Emmy for it about eight weeks ago. Mm. Like, everything is possible. Like, so for, for, for everybody listening, there's two ways to go about it. There's the tactical way, which is super important. But there's also this crazy belief that you've got to have and you can manifest because crazy stuff comes into my life, like, all the time. One plus one does equal two, but one plus one also equals a thousand. Both have to exist. Like, I'm crazy. Like, I dream of stuff. I write stuff down and it comes into my life. Like, when I wanted to make that fan-made Nike commercial, I needed a videographer who could make it. He walked into my front door. It was crazy how it happened because I would go to all my producers in, uh, in L.A. And they say, Charlie, what you're looking for is going to cost you like 50, 60 grand. Because I was like, I need somebody who could shoot. I need somebody who can edit. I need somebody who makes music. I need somebody who color grades. I need somebody who scores. I need somebody who um, um, audio mixes and masters Mm -hmm. for the voiceover. And they were like, Charlie, that's going to cost like 40 grand because this is L.A. Like, that's five different people. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm from Atlanta. Like, 
people know how to do all this stuff. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> like buddy, buddy down the street, right? buddy <laughs> down the street, buddy them. <laughs> and it's just like it's like that's not how it works in LA. And I had retired from the music industry, so I couldn't use like the two chains thing to attract videographers. It's just me. I want to make a Instagram video. Right. And they're like, yeah, Charlie, that's not possible. And then um, I'm living with a roommate. His name is Morgan. Maybe the most boring person in the history of the world. He's like an accountant at Whole Foods. And he walks through the front door. And right behind him is this guy holding a camera. And I was sitting on the couch writing in my notebook. Today is the day I searched and found my videographer slash editor. That day. That day. No, an hour before I wrote this sentence in my notebook. This cameraman walks in behind Morgan, and I'm like, Morgan, why would you have a cameraman? <laughs> it's like, this doesn't make any sense. He's like, yeah, my friend Manny called me. He wanted to film something at the house for this like Airbnb commercial thing. And I was like, okay, whatever. And I'm looking at the cameraman. I'm like, not hopeful. Like He looked like this gothic, skateboarder, weird-looking dude. And how he talked was like, you know, we're from the South. Like, this dude talked like a dude. He was like, yeah, man, you know, I do videos. <laughs> and I said, you know, tell me about it. He's like, well, I don't really get paid any. Like, nobody ever pays me. Like, so I just kind of, like, do stuff for people for free. So I'm like, oh, Lord, this guy's going to be trash. I was like, can I see some of your work? I pull up on the computer as I'm sitting on the couch. And he had this little short film on there. And I'm watching it. And I said, who shot this? He will. I shot it. Like, I said, do you own your own equipment? He said, yeah, like, I have, like, a few anamorphic lenses. I got a couple cameras. I, like, spend all my money on equipment, but I never make any money doing this. And I was like, who edited this? He's like, well, I edit, like, you know, like, I do, like, Adobe Premiere and Final Cut Pro. And I'm like, wow, like, this is really good. I said, who made the music on this? He said, well, I've been in a rock band for about 15 years. It used to be on the Warp Tour. Like, you do music? I said, who audio engineered, like, this voiceover so rich and warm and round? I said, well, like, I'm an audio engineer, too. I have my own little studio in my bedroom. I'm like, Jesus. I said, who color graded this? Because it's so rich. He said, well, I taught myself Da Vinci on YouTube. And everything I was looking for just walked in my front door. Within an hour. Within an hour. And the very first film we made was the fan-made Nike commercial that changed all of Nike, that inspired the Colin Kaepernick film, which won yeah. an Emmy and might be the biggest sports commercial, if not the most biggest commercial of all time. Goosebumps, man. Crazy. He walked in my front door. This happens all the time in my life because I wanted to work with Oprah. I'm talking to, now the root origin of the word abracadabra in Hebrew means, as I speak, I create. So I tell everybody my dreams every day. Whoever made up that lie of like, don't say anything, you're going to jinx it. That's the devil talking. Mm -hmm. That is not true. Abracadabra means as I speak, I create. There's magic in this world. And I create it all the time. And I proved it with like this whole Nike thing. But I wanted to work with Oprah. So I'm talking to my boy, George. So George, I want to work with Oprah. He's Like, okay, like, good luck. Two minutes later, this lady, we're at like this WeWork place in LA mm -hmm. and this lady named Anna walks by and George knew Anna from like 15 years ago hasn't seen her in forever George is like Anna come over here and he's like Charlie tell Anna your story 
And at the time, nobody knew my story. I wasn't even on Instagram. I was just like retired from the music industry. And I start telling her my story. She pulls out a notebook. And I'm like, what are you doing? She's like taking notes on me just talking to her. And she said, oh, well, I'm about to meet with Oprah's producer in about 20 minutes. Like, she would love this. And I'm like, whoa. Like, George, I look at George like, I'm like, that was fast. Like, I had just to, to, in, to, to Oprah's producer. I was like, can I drop you off at the meeting? Oprah's producer of 25 years produced my bike ride across America. Wow. Like, it happened like that. Like that. So, <laughs> as a young producer, like, there are ways to manifest these relationships. Like, you hear it with, like, like, uh, like Jim Carrey. He wrote himself that $10 million check. Yeah, yeah. He got it. Boom. You hear Oprah talk about manifestation all the time. Now you'll hear like Joe Dispenza, people like me talk about quantum physics and how it explains all this law of attraction right. stuff. So in Quantopia, and that's why I made Quantopia with that secret phone number. It's like, I want to teach people how to manifest, but I also want to teach them how to do the tactical stuff too. When you put both together, yeah, magic happens. Because I feel that's a separation. Yeah. It's like, you can't just believe in one or the other. Like you can, but when you put them together and you believe bigger and you have these crazy dreams, like, if I was trying to be realistic, you think I ever would have, like, dreamed of being a Nike athlete? No. Because in our minds, our minds use logic and reason, which we need. We need logic and reason so we can break down that professor of the jungle. But then our hearts know what we really want. So we got to listen to that, too. Complete this sentence. Follow your... Heart. Follow your... Mm -hmm. Come on, man. Nobody said follow your head. Follow mm -hmm. your brain. Why would you say that? We would say heart, but not brain. Huh? What? Why, why would we say one organ and not the other organ when we spend most of our time here? Because there's something we just know, like, like I knew my heart said I could be a Nike athlete. So I did it. And, and this magic happened. And it influenced all the culture. So it's, it's, if I was a young kid, I would study how I teach quantum physics. I would study how I teach law of attraction, but I would also study how I become a professor of the jungle and take these tactical moves. And then boom, next thing you know, things are coming in. Like, for example, like I want to interview Virgil Abloh right now. Like I'm wearing his shoes. Like I want to interview him on my podcast. That's a big interview. Man doesn't even do interviews. Mm. But it's like, okay, what are the little tactical things I can do? But what's the things I can also like attract him? into my life, just like I did Oprah, just like I did Nike, or just like I've done all these other, other things. And I have podcast episodes where I break down all the crazy things that I have manifested. I document them all so everybody can learn and believe bigger because that's the secret. When you believe in the magic, you start finding it. And it happens every day. Just go listen to like some podcasts like with Oprah, talking to Steve Harvey or The Rock. Like when they break, when they broke out of being like homeless for three years, sleeping in Steve Harvey's car, or when The Rock had $7, mm -hmm. like there's always like some magical moment. So we're all going to experience that in our lives. Each one of us are going to experience that moment in our lives. I experienced it with Nike. Y'all are going to experience it too. Everybody listening is going to experience it too. So start looking for the magic. Start being inspired by the magic because it's amazing. Now, okay, so the thing with the law of attraction how do you 
because I, I hear you talking about, you know, being on the frequency mm-hmm. and, you know, tapping into certain frequencies. And I feel like it's one thing you can say things, but how do you actually convince yourself and, and believe in your heart and, and, and know and really bring yourself to it? Okay. You ever heard the term, if I see it, I can believe it? Mm-hmm. That's usually how we operate. If I see it, I'll believe it. Mm. But seeing does not have to only happen with your eyes open. Mm-hmm. That's what we're thinking. When we're talking about seeing, we're thinking I need to see it, eyes open. If I could see it with my eyes closed, then I could believe it. I saw that I was going to be a Nike athlete, so I believed it. But I, I, I painted that picture of that finish line, and I'm this delusional optimist, right? Remember earlier when we were talking about being annoying? Mm-hmm. It's like, no, like, it's okay, because I know what the finish line looks like. I know what the finish line looks like, so I don't have to worry about where I'm at. And I paint that picture of that finish line so much in my mind. For example, I'll, I'll tell you what I did. Um, I'll let you all into my life a little bit in my business. So I'm a motivational speaker now. And um, I now get $30,000 to speak, which is a big amount. It's like bigger than some of my artists I managed. But nobody would book me up until about two months ago. I had all this great stuff happen. I'm on the cover of Runner's World magazine. I'm in Nike commercials. I've won Grammys. I've won Emmys. And nobody would book me because I wasn't tuned to the right frequency. So let's take a radio station, that little box. If it's on the wrong station, you get <sighs> static. I was getting static. I was not getting a beautiful song. I was not getting a song that hits the right notes. I was, I was getting a static in my business. It's because I wasn't tuned to the right frequency. When I, I woke up every day, and this is what I did. I, uh, I made a song. I don't make music. I downloaded a beat, um, Drake's Closer to My Dreams beat. And I downloaded it. I got on GarageBand, and I just told myself what the future looks like. I said, I'm one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. I get 10 requests a day. These are the stages I'm speaking on. I'm in this city, I'm in this city, I'm in this city. I'm like, I'm making 200 grand a month. I'm like saying the future on this beat that's called Closer to My Dreams and it's got this frequency and I'd listen to it nine times a day. When I get in the car, when I wake up, before I go to bed, I'm listening to me talk about the future. It's called futuring. How can I feel the future today? That's how you tune to the radio station. And then I started walking different and I would go on these walks and I'd be like, this is what it feels like to be in demand. This is what it feels like to get that wire transfer hit in a bank account. This is what it feels like to call my mom and be like, ma, everything's okay. This is what it feels like to be like, ah, like there's 10,000 people in the crowd, like standing ovation. And I started walking like all that stuff was already done. Man, let me tell you what happened. In my stomach, I got like, my stomach is jumping right now in a good way you need like, to go to the bathroom no, not like, that. <laughs> like the, just like just listening That's to it just, magic yeah so in the next week go to the bathroom i had four shows booked in the next two weeks i had a whole tour book yeah. i just got up i've spoke 25 times in the past like 35 days wow Damn. like it got booked up like crazy i'm talking about people were sending wire transfers to my bank account before they even sent a contract wow Damn. They were like, get off the phone with me. And they're like, already start promoting it. I'll call them back. Like, you can't promote that till the money comes in. They said, I'll send it right now. <laughs> Boom. Wire transfer. 
I'm like, damn, I've been waiting two years for people to book me. Everybody telling me no. I'll send emails every day. I tuned to the frequency. I started acting like I was the shit with myself, not having all those limited beliefs. And when I tuned to that radio station, I was able to hear the song. Mm. I was able to receive. A radio is a receiver. Your phone is a receiver. It can pull a conversation out of the air. Everything's flying through the air in quantum physics. Everything is a wave. So that means everything is just out there. But how do I receive the wave? I got to tune to the frequency. When I wanted to be a Nike athlete, I tuned to the frequency by making that Nike commercial. I had to be it first. Mm. Mm. I dressed up as a Nike athlete. I made a fan-made Nike commercial. And at the end, it said, insert Nike logo here. I've seen that, yeah. I tuned to the frequency and it came. I think that takes a lot of work, though. It's a lot of energy. Oh, man, it's a lot of belief. It's a lot of delusional belief. But you know what? Let's live the life they want to make a movie about. They don't make a movie about the realistic ones. Mm. They make a movie about the people that are crazy enough to believe they can go get a beat with. I mean. I look at it like this. Like, Kanye's probably recorded on, like, 500 different people's beats before. Sunny Digital and boom, like, Metro Boom. Like, if they could do it, why can't I? It's possible. They're human just like me. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's already done. Time hasn't caught up yet. That's the frequency I'm living by. It's already done today. I don't, I don't, need, I don't need it to know it's done. I know it's done. That's a big thing I picked up from your uh, secret interview with Andy Frisella. Mm-hmm. Ah, secret interview. Ah. <laughs> Fontopia. I got a question for you real quick. What's up, bro? Are you practicing certain diets to get your frequency Moment. a certain level? Complete this sentence. You are what you eat. eat. Come on, man. Am I eating low frequency or am I eating high frequency? Now, what's high frequency and what's low frequency? Like you Alcohol. said, alive and dead. Come on, let me pull this up real quick. Boom, hold on. Go grab that Snickers bar. Snickers? Damn, I just busted down a bag of Doritos for a second. It's not bad. It's just there's something better. Okay, so if I were to put a, 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 a energy instrument, like a camera that reads how much energy is coming off of something on this negative three negative three negative five it might be as it might be a uh like let's go scale of of zero to 500 Mm. on the scale this might be a a 60 Mm. it's got some energy because it's real like it's a it's an actual thing everything is energy this table is energy Mm. this is what quantum physics says everything is energy so this has some energy, but it's low frequency. Okay? This, see when the expiration date is. All right. This is good until guaranteed fresh until January 2020. Probably good for a couple years, though. It's just guaranteed fresh by that date. That's still a long-ass time. It's a long-ass time. It could, it could sit on the shelf for two, three years. You'll still be able to eat it. This right here, low frequency or high frequency? Definitely high. Yeah. This high is glowing. Frequency. You put a little instrument, a little radar detection, you know, 
boom, this thing's like orange and blue and just like all sorts of energy. Show them what it is. This is fruit. So it's like you are what you eat. So if you want your, I mean, this right here, this is like Boost Mobile. <laughs> like you got a couple bars, maybe, you know, break in and out a little bit. Or this is like Verizon or AT&T, like full crystal clear signal. So like how you eat can increase your, your cell phone reception of you connecting to what you want, but also like the people you're around. Like if you're around some really negative people, it's like being on an elevator. I can't hear you. Hello? 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 Because mm. people can block your blessings mm. just like an elevator can. Mm. But so can we. We can even block our own blessing. Content we consume. Oh, yeah. You, you, you consume that negative, low-energy content. You just said the magic word. Consume. It's not just what you eat. It's what you consume. The music you, con- you consume. Music. Um, I would say with music, like for me, like I love like trap music, but I focus on the beat. Mm. I'm not like trying to think about like negativity or yeah, like I feel that. I'm focused on the vibe. The vibe feels good, right? right? right. Yeah. I don't have to focus on the words. I like I like the vibe of the song. Um, you know, negativity, gossip, bad news. Like I got rid of like when Donald Trump was running for president, I got rid of cable because it was too addicting. Looking mm. at all this stuff all the time, looking at all this news all the time. I was like, let me delete that. Then. I was like, what else can I delete out of my life? I deleted social media for a year. Why I lost my 130 pounds? Deleted social media for a whole year. Karen Ticket definitely right with that. All the time. Come on, man. But I, but I, man, but I tell him, I'm like, it's important to, to have Instagram when you're trying to build your brand and build Dude, your business. The grass is going to grow where you water it. Period. I have a friend who's the most connected human being on earth. He's 27 years old. He works for this guy named Peter Thiel who's one of the biggest billionaires in the world. He's the first investor in Facebook, first investor in PayPal. Like, he found Mark Zuckerberg. Like, mm. Facebook would not exist without this man. Mm. The guy, my friend, his name is Jesse. He's the most connected man on earth. His job is to introduce Peter Thiel to the most interesting and powerful people in the world. Jesse doesn't have social media. Can you be connected can you be influential without social media? Absolutely. Martin Luther King didn't have it. Big proof. Jesus didn't have it. Big Boy, proof. Jesus wasn't on IG, wasn't on Snap, <laughs> so, nothing. So it is possible to influence the entire world. Shoot, the man's so influential, even, even other religions use his birthday for their time. Mm-hmm. 2019. Right. No matter what religion you are. Oh, 2019. That's Jesus. Mm. Like the man they have Instagram, so it is possible. Shout out to Jesus. My my man Jesse doesn't have social media, but his grass grows where he waters it. He's building real life connections. He's sliding in the email, but he's also sliding in the quantum DMs. He's like manifesting. So you can have social media or you cannot have social media. It doesn't matter. Just as long as you're networking. And I think it's also true. You, know, you got to have control. But one thing I've been doing on Instagram, I go, I go on there to engage and post and stuff, which I, I know engaging can get you trapped too, because you know it can give those dopamine rush spikes and stuff. Mm-hmm. I heard you talk about that. But what I'm t- as soon as I start scrolling, I catch myself and I'm like, no, nah, let me stop scrolling. I close Instagram. 
You know what I mean? Right. So I, when I'm on there, it's productive. Like, you know, I'm engaging with the audience and That's stuff right. like that. Checking DMs and stuff. I just I just released um, a secret podcast interview with this kid named uh, Casey Adams. And Casey knows how to use Instagram better than anybody. He doesn't get caught up in all the negativity. He, I call him, his superhero name is the Super Slider. <laughs> he slides into DMs better Ooh. than anybody. And I asked him, and I broke down his, his strategy of how to network using Instagram. Because I'm bad at it. I wish I was good at it. So I went to Casey and I was like, teach me live on a podcast interview how to slide into people's DMs to get them to respond and to get them to care about me. And he broke it all down. So it's in Quantopia. So if anybody wants that episode, here's the phone number again, 404 800 1073. And that episode of how to network using Instagram is very powerful. But the same principles apply even if you're not using Instagram. Mm. Mm. And now this kind of brings us, since we're talking about, you know, being focused, being mm. hyper focused, this brings me to your Drake pool party story. And I think, I think the audience needs to hear that. Oh, I'll tell you, I learned a life lesson. Hold on, I mean, grapes. Let me put this up. <laughs> Let me get high energy. Come on, you trying to get high frequency? Back, with me? Let me get some of those strawberries. <laughs> hey, hey, get in, get in on this um, Verizon Wireless real quick. Pass the bow, man. Like it's a blunt. Boost mobile. <laughs> get rid of the boost. All right, so I learned a crazy life lesson. Mm-hmm. I remember I'm in LA. I'm in LA. We just left the VMAs. The VMAs. This was super cool. Like I remember this day so vividly. What year is this? Ooh, this is probably 2000, 2012, 2013. Mm, okay. And I remember a year before, I'm driving two chains around LA by myself. We're in like a little suburban. I'm just driving, doing my little manager thing. And I remember two chains told me something. He said, Charlie, watch what I'm about to do. He told me two things. He said, I'm about to make everybody say the words true. Like, he came up with the ad-lib, true. true. He said, I'm going to have everybody saying true. He said, I'm going to have everybody wearing all black with gold chains. At the time, platinum and silver, like, you know, the white diamond. Like, that was him. He said, I'm going to have everybody wearing gold. A year later, we're at the VMAs. And I'm sitting beside him. And we're watching everybody go up on stage, whether it was a rock band or a rapper, whoever. It was like a uniform. All black with gold Cuban links. Everybody. He looked at me. He said, I told you. I said, you were right, bro. Like, we shifted all the culture with that vision he had. And after the VMAs, we got invited to uh, Drake's pool party. It's a big moment for me. I'm a kid from Atlanta, Georgia. Like, we're on the come up in the music game. And we get to go to Drake's house. This is the house that he calls the safe house. You know, in the songs and Calabasas, Hidden Hills. And we pull up, go through the gate. And we pull up to his house and it was like this log cabin mansion. To me, it was kind of weird. I never would have thought a celebrity would live in like a log cabin mansion. It was really weird. And we're walking through and I felt like I was in a movie. Girls everywhere. Like, it's like, just like, I mean, it was incredible. Y'all can just imagine. We walk through the halls, going through the back door, 
And there's this massive pool with this huge waterfall and this huge mountain, like with a water slide made out of stone. And it was like, like, you know, when like Drake and Kanye beef about their pool size, Mm -hmm. this is the pool that Drake said, my pool is bigger than yours. And I'm looking at all these people and people jumping off the the grotto mountain into the water doing backflips. Everybody's having a good time. And I'm sitting there and I don't, I've never like smoked or drink. So it's like, I'm sitting there like just observing, seeing what's going on, studying the game. I'm like, where's Drake? I see all these people here and Drake's nowhere to be found. I was like, this is odd. And I'm looking over past the pool to the right and I see this little like pool house like a little shed looking thing and I see Drake's head pop out the shed and he walks over to us and he's like come here come here comes over to two chains he's like I want to show you something and uh, we walk over to the little pool house and it's like empty but there's like a little desk in there and he's like let's let's grab some chairs and like drag them in and I'm listening to Drake, and he's like, this is where I'm going to record my next album. And I'm thinking to myself, this man is so passionate about this little pool house and his next album. There's all these distractions going on outside, and all Drake cares about is his album. I'm thinking to myself, this is so fascinating to me. In the midst of every distraction, this man just wants to record. He could be having a great time celebrating the VMAs, but does he want to celebrate? Nah. It's a lot like Michael Jordan. When he won his fourth ring in the locker room, the camera pans to him. He holds up five. He's already focused on the next one. Five. Then six. That's Drake. And then I thought about it like, damn, I got to step my game up. I celebrate too much. And there's nothing wrong with celebrating but it's how you do it. Why not celebrate by making a hit record? How about that be the celebration in the pool house? Drake didn't need a big old studio. Drake didn't need like all the fancy stuff. Drake's recording in an empty little shed with a pullout chair and a computer sitting on a little desk. No nice equipment, little microphone in the corner. And then when we're done recording, we go out to the party. Guess where Drake goes? To the turntables. Like, damn. The most successful person at this pool party is the only one who's focused. There's a reason he, for that, right? He has every right to be the least focused because he's <laughs> the most successful. While everybody else is selfieing it up, drinking, smoking. We're not successful like this, man. How about we change how we operate? That man wants it. That's why that man beat all the Beatles records. That man shattered. Like, like he had like eight top ten records at the same time. Unbelievable. This man has been, has actually done something nobody culturally has, I don't think, ever done. He's like 11 years in and he's never missed a shot. Like he's never missed. Not one. Like Lil Wayne had already kind of fallen off by then. The Beatles had already broke up by then. Michael Jackson was even cold. 
Drake is like, he's never been cold. He's put out more music than anybody. He works with all the new artists. Like, he's always the first one to get on the new artist songs. When we're talking about the little brother theory, Drake, yeah. Drake knows. Drake go give Blockboy JB a number one hit. <laughs> Who's Blockboy yeah. JB? Nobody knew, but Drake's such a visionary and he knows how the game works. He's like, oh, you got a dope, dope young producer? I want to work with him, so I'm going to give you a top 10 record. He was the first one to get on 2 Chainz's record. Boom. He was the first one to get on Migos. He was the first one to get on Waka Flocka. He was the first one. I love McConan. He was mm. the first one. He's always the first because he understands the little brother theory. Like these young kids, that's how I'm going to stay relevant. Mm. By always giving somebody young in some neighborhood who has that club, that one mm. club. I think it was called Dreams. Dreams ATL. Have that one club. Let me go give them a record so I can stay relevant in Atlanta. Let me go get, let me go be relevant in, in Memphis. Let me go be relevant in, in, in Texas by always giving these artists these features. Man, the man's over there on the turntables. We're sitting by the pool and just like looking what's going on. And he plays this song that I'm hearing Two Chains' voice, but I didn't know what song this was. I'm like, tit, like, what is this? It's just like, it sounds super familiar, but why is Drake playing it? So, 2 Chains did a verse for Drake. Drake took the verse, this is how much he's living the music. Drake took a verse, an old verse of 2 Chains, sent on a hard drive, had 40 make a beat to it, made it the hook, Gave the song to ASAP Rocky. I love bad bitches. That's my fucking problem. Wow. And yeah, I like to fuck. So it's like we're at Drake's pool party and this man has been in the studio cooking up some old shit to make some new shit, not even for him, but for ASAP Rocky. So we're at this pool party and he's playing what's about to be the number one song in the country. He's breaking records. He's breaking records because he's living <laughs> yeah. the music. He's on the turntables. He's in the studio. He's like going through old hard drive records and be like, oh, that'd be a dope hook. Damn, I got to step my game up. Damn, I could be more focused. Damn, there's all these distractions and the one successful person isn't phased by it. He's, he's a professor of the jungle. Mm. That man's a professor of the jungle. He knows everything going on. Like, you know, Schooly? Mm -hmm. Drake's been a fan of Schooly for years. How's he even know about Schooly? Yeah. He's living it. He's living it. This is years before when Future was just like a mixtape artist. He's playing at that pool party. He's playing more Future records. I'm like, how do you know Dirty Sprite? You're like, you live in Toronto and L.A. How do you even know these records? And he's on the mixing them. This man knows everything going on. He mm. knows every young artist that's popping. He knows everything going on on SoundCloud. The man's a professor of the jungle. Why do you think he's number one? I'm too distracted. Mm. I got to step my game up. Because I'm not like Drake. I'm not successful like him. I'm okay. I've done some decent things in my life, but I got a lot more room to grow. And I know everybody listening to this, we all, everybody in this room, you too, we all got room to grow. Because that man That's Drake is focused in the midst of every distraction you could ever imagine. Hmm. Let's all step our game up. Y'all with me? Thanks. Let's Thanks. go.
Let's go. Big James, man. I'm just happy to give back to the game. These young producers, I know we all need to hear this. Shoot, I need to hear. I like telling these stories because it reminds me of what I need to hear. The young, the young people, the youth, this is like a must-have This is what you were talking podcast. about a couple weeks ago. Yeah, like, bro, like, you don't even understand. Like, some of the stuff you're saying is like, it's like perfect for me. You know what I'm saying? You just you just pointing out that this shit is all on you. You know, like if you if you fucking up, you fucking up yourself. You know? Yeah, for real, for real. Like I'm in a phase right now where I'm like gearing up for 2020. I want to I want to be the most focused visionary I've ever been in my life. 2020 vision. Like it's mm. time for us to like <laughs> get that 2020 vision right now. It's the end of 2019. I want this podcast episode to be a classic. I want this to change more young producers' lives than anybody. Like if, if I guarantee you, if 50, only 50 young producers who are listening to this, however many hundreds of thousands of views this gets, if 50 take these steps, over with. Oh, it's over with. The whole music game changes. Mm. Like this podcast is going to produce, this, this podcast right here, y'all's listeners, can produce like 200 top 100 records next year Thanks. if they take these. That's mm. what I want to see from Producer Ground. I want to see 50 young producers go out and take these steps and just watch what happens. And then y'all will be to credit. Like this this podcast is going to change more young producers' lives than anything. I feel that. Appreciate it. Definitely feel that. What, what's uh, what's next for you, man? What's, what's, what's Charlie's 2020? Are you <sighs> never coming back to the music game? Is it straight? You know, I'm about to infuse it, bro. I'm about to do something that people have been waiting for me for a long time. So I left the music game three years ago. And I went 100% into the athletics and into like influencing culture in a whole nother way. Like now I'm a motivational speaker. Now I'm on tour. It's almost like I'm an artist. Like, like I, I go to a show and people cry. Like they know the story and they cry. And like I've, I've like 10,000 people. So it's like I went and I built that. I built that motivation side of my career. I'm from the music game. I struggle because I want to learn from culture. I want to take the culture. So this is my goal. People who want to get motivated, they could learn so much from people like these Drake stories. People like Mike Will. People like Coach K. People like myself. Like, I want to give the youth a way to learn how to be entrepreneurs in a cool way. Right now, it's too boring. Right now, what exists in the motivation and, and like the, the space of learning, it's like Ralph Lauren, I want to build Supreme. Mm. Like it's too like traditional. It's too boring. I want to build events that are crazy. Like I want to build events where I'm doing live interviews with Virgil Abelow. There's a live art installment of a painter painting these like cassette tape wall and everybody who's at the live interview gets to take one of the cassette tapes, part of the graffiti wall home with them. And it's a secret interview in Quantopia. And there's a line down the corner and people are in a frenzy. 500 people are outside. Only 60 could get in. Like I want to build an ecosystem that brings culture to the motivation space. These conversations we're having right here, this is the future. Like y'all are interviewing a music mogul 
who's also like a motivational speaker. How do we merge these worlds together so that the kids, people like you and I, who want to mo- be motivated and want to be successful, we got to make it cool. Yeah, yeah. Right now, it's not cool. Like college yeah. kids would rather go to Coachella than a Tony Robbins event. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, how do we make a Tony Robbins event feel like Coachella? Mm-hmm. How do we interview um, Rich the Kid live on stage and then he does a performance afterwards, mm. right? How do we merge it together? How's there a whole music festival where we're going to the whole music festival, but then there's breakout sessions breaking down the business, like how Coach K and Migos on stage together talking about the business mm. after the performance. Yeah. I want to bring the worlds together. That's why I'm building Quantopia. Mm. I'm trying to build something for the culture to learn because these college kids, they don't want to, they don't want to learn because it's too boring. Shoot, I don't even want to learn. It's too boring. Mm. I want to build culture. I want to go to a motivational speaking event where everybody's swagged up with off-whites. Mm-hmm. And like culture, not just the boring people in the little notebook writing down. Yeah. So that's what I'm building. I'm going to do what I did in Atlanta <laughs> in hip-hop. I'm going to do in L.A. for motivation. Mm. I'm going to bring culture together with motivation and inspiration. And I'm going to build one of the biggest movements. That's going to shift things. I feel that, bro, because not even trying to plug us or gas us, but, like, I feel like that's that's one thing. Like, we've looked at producer events mm-hmm. as boring and burned boring. out. You know what I'm saying? And we, like, VIP you know what I mean? Session. I'll show you some videos and stuff yeah. when we're done, but, like, we we definitely mix it up. We definitely yeah. get a lot of things that you're kind of talking about. You know what I mean? Just, you know, real, real niche producer. Yeah, Y'all want to collaborate? Man, oh, come yeah. on, man. Come on. Y'all want to do something big in L.A. with me? Yeah, man, yeah. let's get it. <laughs> Game over. I'm seeing, I'm seeing an event series that I want to build but there's a nine-month waiting list to get in. Mm. That's what I want. I want to build something so culturally pivoting where people are, people's lives are changing, but it's swagged up. It's cool. It's people like us. There's a, this, is, this is a new revolution that people like us can sit in a room together and talk about changing our lives. This is rare, but this is what the people want. This is what the people need, and we're going to bring it to them. Most definitely, man. That's 2020. Perfect note to end it on, man. I don't think there's nothing we didn't cover, but there's definitely a lot more to talk about. But another dope episode in the books, man. Shout out to Charlie, man. Drop that number for him one more time so they can, you know, win the speakers and just two man, definitely go and tune into the Quantopia content. I've been I've been on it for a minute now. And for I, sure. you know, I was tuning into the Charlie Rocket Show before while it was public and all that <laughs> stuff. You can ask her, like we'd be driving and <laughs> listen to it and she listen to the two million dollar merch story. That's right. That's you know right. I mean? So I, I do a lot of schooling. I teach people. I tell people all the crazy stories from my whole life on the business side, on the music side, on the manifestation side, on the mindset side. Like, I deleted all my podcasts from the public. I put everything into Quantopia, which is Secret Speakeasy. The number is 404-800-1073. I just ask people, do not ever post the number publicly. Like, on social media, you can give it to your friends. But I never want the number posted publicly. I've never posted it publicly. It's only to be shared through private streams like this, like behind closed doors. Um, you could also follow me on Instagram. It's at Charlie, just just Charlie, the first name. Uh, find me on Instagram and reach out to me. This is my passion, giving back to the industry that made me, giving back to the game that made me. Like hip hop saved my life. I wanted to save everybody else's life. I've I've I'm going into 2020. And I'm going to make sure that more conversations like this happen. Because like you said, most people ask me about my like weight loss journey and motivation stuff, but it's time to give back to this game. Okay. I, want to, I want to teach these kids how to come up. And what's the deadline for those speakers? When, when's the, 
When's the give out date? Ooh, I mean, let's. When's this? When's this going out? Going out Thursday, so it's going out um, in two days from now. Okay, and I'll, I'll pick it. Um, let's let's pick a date. The deadline is if it's going out Thursday, that's the twenty eighth. Yeah, I'll say December first. I'll announce. So this is what you do when you when you go when you type in the phone number into your phone, text the number. Right, it's going to ask you to save your number into my phone. Save your number, and then you'll be able to like access Quantopia and log in. But I want you to go back and text producer grind, all one word, text that number to the phone. And then you, that's kind of like a cheat code. And then that way I'll be able to pick from those people who text it and we'll give the speakers away. Say less. December right. 1st, man. One final thing. What's up? Vision is probably the biggest thing I took away from this podcast. You got to give a person one step uh-huh. to start creating vision. What would it be? One practical step. They can it's, do today. It's, it's actually really easy. So when we get older, we lose our imagination. When we were children, we could create worlds in our minds. We could play with a little car and make this whole world. Like watch a, watch a five-year-old. It's fascinating that they see something. I was with this little like kid, like four years old. He was making pancakes in this fake kitchen but those pancakes were so real to him i'm like do you know how powerful i would be as an adult if i can imagine things like a child because what we say if i can see it then i'll believe it that kid sees those pancakes now i guarantee you people like steve Jobs and elon musk see in their imagination that's how they're able to make stuff like this. They can see it in their imagination, so they believe it, so they go make it. So when I want to turn on my imagination, vision, when I want to turn on my imagination, I lay on the floor with a piece of paper, just like I did when I was a kid, mm. drawing a picture. It legs turned, kicking up. All that. Legs <laughs> kicking You got to kick the legs up. Come on, bro. You got to kick the legs up. I'm telling you, but what that does is it reminds us of a period in our life when we had imagination because as we get older, we start sitting in chairs and we never lay on the ground. Like, what's the last time you laid on it? Maybe two times in a year. Like, like, unless you have a kid, then you really do lay on the ground with them. But that's how I spark my imagination. So I have my quantum possibilities notebook that I try to write in every day and I'll lay on the ground, legs kicked up, <laughs> and I'll sometimes just draw a picture and I'll think about the finish line. I'll think about the things and I'll see my imagination start turning on. And when you start drawing those pictures and you start like writing down the artists you're working with, then you start feeling what it's like to be in the studio with Travis Scott. You start feeling it. Then you actually get a little bit of magic. Then you start believing in it a little bit more. Then you start showing up. And then you like that feeling of being in the studio with Travis Scott. It felt so real. Mm. It and felt so real. So now you're like, let me hit up his engineer. Charlie had told me something. A lot of people are going to listen to this and not take the advice for six months. Then one day they're going to be so fed up with losing. They're going to be like, you know what? Let me try that thing Charlie said. Let me kick Hell my yeah. feet up. Hell yeah. Let me <laughs> kick my feet up. And be thankful in advance. Oh, I'm telling you. Like, I come from hip-hop. I'm talking about laying on the floor and drawing pictures. I'm saying it for a reason. I'm not saying this to sound cool or different. This is what I actually do. You know, I draw my notebook. I have a notebook so freaking big. 
Like, it's like weighs 25 pounds. It's like four feet tall. I have a massive notebook. Oh, yeah, you had it at, the, at that event that I met you at. Yeah, it's massive. I take it everywhere. Why? Because I got big dreams. I need a big notebook. That's how, that's how serious I take it. I was it. hoping you were going to bring it today. Hey, man, I've been traveling, man. Been uh, it's at my mom's house. Mm. But I got it. I got it in Atlanta. It's serious to me. I, I, it's sacred. That quantum possibilities, it's sacred. The man walked through my front door. It's sacred to me. I wrote down, I'm in a commercial with LeBron and Serena. I'm in a commercial with LeBron and Serena. I won an Emmy. It's sacred to me. 99.9% .9 of people listening to this are going to skip that stuff. Then they're going to lose. And they're going to be like, you know what, let me try that. I'm desperate. And that's okay. It's okay to lose. Because when it's dark, come on, the presents are somewhere. You just got to look for them. Mm. So, yeah. That was a good episode. Big facts, man. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> Another dope episode in the books, man. Hit that subscribe. We out. Peace.